Tonight is history. Mike, this is not, this is your last sermon here as this, but it's not your final sermon. You got lots of sermons to go where God's going to take you. So this is what I'd like to do. Come on up here, Mike. We're breaking a little how we do things. Stand right here. Stand right there. Come on. It's a... It's okay, Mike. You don't know. I know you don't know what's going on. Everybody that would like to lay hands on Mike and pray for him, come on up before he preaches his final message. Uh, last message here. Come on up. I'm going to say a prayer. Let's let's show the man some love. You wanted the whole family together. Here you go, Mike. Right now. Good thing you took a shower, right? <laughs> From a line in a song that I listened to on here, it's an Irish hymn. When it's all been said and done, there is just one thing that matters. Did I live my life for the truth? Did I live my life for you? Lord, I think this rings loud and clear. Lord, Mike has preached and preached and taught young leaders how to carry the Word and to preach the Word and to stand with the Word and to live the Word. And tonight, Lord, we lay hands on our brother as he speaks his final words as one of the pastors here at this church. We ask that you anoint him past anything he's ever experienced. We ask, Father, that you fill him with your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know all the demons. I can feel it. The demons are trembling because of what you've accomplished here. I ask that you have a great victory for your kingdom here while Mike preaches. Lord, I ask you meet him in his words. And Lord, I ask that every word that comes out of his mouth will be from you. And we'll be sealed by your Holy Spirit. And in Jesus' name, and we all said, Amen. Amen. Go get him, Mike. Well, thank you for that prayer. I actually feel less nervous than I did before. Um, so, <laughs> I've been struggling with what to say for a while, how to say it. I mean, everybody on the internet makes it worse because they're going like, your final words are your most important words. Seven steps in cra- crafting your last sermon Blah, 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 blah. And, um, you know, I listened to John Piper's last sermon and some other last sermons, and I thought, you know, that's just not me. <laughs> and it was like David trying on Saul's armor, and I just thought, okay, I'm, I think I just can do what I, what I really want to do and hope it's pleasing to you. So I decided to do uh, Stun Daddy's story time. Um, got a large amount of slides here. Uh, it's the biggest file I've ever tried to upload as a uh, sermon series. Um, but I thought it'd be kind of fun to take a look. Um, what I want to concentrate on really tonight is following Jesus. Okay? So if you want to substitute Scum Daddy's story time for following Jesus, that would probably be just a better title. But I want to review the past. Not only has how God has led me and, and Mary and me, but how God has led this body of believers over the past 19 years. You've got a legacy 
of Jesus directing your steps. He's been faithful, and I just want to kind of review that as the first part of the sermon. And frankly, if it takes too long, we're going to skip the rest of it. Because uh, I have some, you know, scripture, and I'm ready to exposit it, all the kind of stuff a good pastor is supposed to do. But if we don't get there, we don't get there, okay? So, um, in the course of this last several uh, sermons, I've kind of told you a bit about my story. And um, I didn't really tell you about... Um, could, could we turn this thing off, please? This, this heater over here, I know. These people have coats. They'll be okay. <laughs> Just for my sake, please. Um, but... Um, does anybody can thank you, Chris? I appreciate that. Um, but uh, for the last time, folks, you don't want to hear or see my big fat Greek sweating. All right. See, somebody was here who never heard that before. Now, wasn't that great? All right. So. I told you that um, I met some Christian kids at one high school, left, went to another high school, and uh, had decided at that point, all right, I'm going to find out about this Jesus thing once and for all. Like, if it's good, I'll keep it. If it's not any good, I'm going to chuck it because I have some things I want to do that I got a feeling God would not be pleased with if he exists. Um, I wanted to drink a lot of alcohol. I wanted to sleep with a lot of women. And those are just two of the things on my list. Um, and I thought, well, I better check out whether or not the things that Laverne and Pat and other people were telling me are actually true. So I don't know much about the Bible. I know. I'll go to a Bible study, and I'll go to a Bible study to find out that Jesus doesn't exist. Not exactly the great motivation, but it worked for me. And so um, I would go there, and I would be... The wag in the back, you know, the skeptic, the guy who's making fun of things that were being said during the Bible study, me, okay? I think I told you about that. What I didn't tell you is that later on, as time went on, I kind of liked these people that I was at a Bible study with in young life, and, uh, and they were really indulgent with me. Um, here's some folks. Now, this is from my newsletter two years ago, so I've been with Jesus 47 years now. But uh, my young life leader is a guy in the upper left-hand corner. That's Jack Boyd. He was at Sylvania. He uh, led some Bible studies. And I was at his house in the summer after my senior year of high school where I finally became a Christian. His wife, Gretchen, is the photo right below him. To the right is Gary Burke, who is the area director for Young Life, became one of my first mentors. His wife, Dolores, who helped me out a lot, very wise woman. Bill and Jackie Telford, lower left, were Young Life committee people, let me hang out at their house quite a bit and uh, feel the love. And then that's me in the lower right-hand corner. Um, I know. But anyway, so I'm at Jack Boyd's house, upper left-hand corner, and Gretchen Boyd's house right below that. I'm there in my senior year, and, um, you know, they're talking about going out maybe witnessing, whatever that meant, which meant telling people about Jesus. I'm going, I can't do that because I don't believe that. Well, a couple meetings later, we decided to play this tape by a guy named Bill Bright. 
uh, Bill Bright founded Campus Crusade for Christ. And the tape was about love. And so um, we all gathered up in their living room, and I sat down on the floor, hunched up my knees up to my chest, and just kind of sat there and listened. And he went on and on, and I started to daydream the way I've been taught in the Greek Orthodox Church. Um, so, uh, but as I, as I sat there and I daydreamed, I thought about all the Christians who had loved me over the last few years. And they were like little clouds in the sky, right? Like there was a cloud with a name on it. Barb and Dan Kane. Um, Laverne Dickinson. Pat Thompson. Dave Carter. Go on and on and on. Jack and Gretchen Boyd. Et cetera, et cetera. Scott Johnston. And it was like from every cloud, rain started to pour. And that was not so unusual in this daydream. But what was unusual was all the rain was coming together into one single stream that was headed straight from my head. All right, now, interesting daydream. I like daydreams. They're fine. But then something very unusual happened. I felt the water hit my head. It was like somebody from behind was pouring a giant urn of Gatorade over me. I felt it, except it didn't splash over me. It felt like it was going inside me, as if I was hollow. And it started to fill me up. From my feet, up my legs, up to my chest, I'm going, what is going on? I didn't make a sound. Just sitting there with everybody else, having this supernatural experience. And then it kept going up and up and up. I didn't know what was going to happen. Finally got to the, my top of my head. And then the weirdest thing happened. Now it felt like there was a geyser inside of my chest that was shooting up water out of my head. I felt like dancing. I felt like singing. I felt like doing anything, but I just sat there. But it was weird. The first thought that struck me after this experience was, wait a minute, I believe that Jesus is real, and now furthermore, but he's alive. That was the weird thing. The next day, I felt like reading the Bible. And it wasn't dry and boring, it was exciting. I started taking the Bible to work with me. I was a lifeguard at a YMCA. You would think that the Young Men's Christian Association wouldn't be so upset about you bringing a Bible to read on your breaks. But I was quickly ostracized by the rest of the staff who had accepted me before that. All I can say is, is this supernatural calling is probably what I needed to believe that Jesus really was who he said he was. It was like I still had all the questions that I had before. What about the pygmies in Africa who never heard of Jesus? What happens to them? Um, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. But somehow after that experience, I kind of trusted that God had it under control where before I didn't. It was just strange for me. I had this experience. I didn't believe and then I believed. I didn't like the Bible, then I liked the Bible. I didn't like hanging around with Christians. Now I loved hanging around with Christians. I never wanted to talk about Jesus. Now you couldn't shut me up. Just talk to my family, my poor family, who heard me go on and on and on 
in sometimes a very obnoxious way. Jesus called me. I don't know how else to put it. In a very unusual way. It doesn't happen this way with most people, but with me, it's what happened. I had this conversion experience, and from then on, it was gung-ho Jesus. This is uh, the next big event in my life. I got married to a lovely young woman of Czechoslovakian descent, Mary Patricia Francel. Um, We actually had two wedding ceremonies, uh, one in the Catholic Church and then one in the Greek Orthodox Church. Since this is my sermon, I put the Orthodox Church picture up there. Um, That's Father Chris giving us communion for the first time as a couple. Um, God showed up in that. I mean, I knew he wanted me to ask her to marry me. Knew beyond the shadow of a doubt. So, following Jesus into the whole marriage thing, which was great, and still is. But then, after that, following Jesus was just doing the next right thing. I didn't get feelings. I didn't hear anything special. It was just doing the next thing from uh, deciding to go on Young Life staff in Cleveland to deciding to go back to teaching in Toledo, Ohio, teaching for a few years, um, having children, deciding that uh, my summer job in the steel mill paid more than teaching, and so it seemed like Jesus thought it was a good idea for me to make more money to support my young family, so I went full-time in the steel mill for a while. And from there I went to sales with Century Marketing, because I didn't like almost getting killed in the steel mill. I mean, it was just doing the next right thing. For years and years. Most of the time, I think our life is just doing the next right thing. You know, is it something in Scripture against it? No. Okay, then it's fine. Bringing you closer to Jesus, helping your family, loving people, that's all. Okay, that's good stuff. Let's just do that. And I just want to say that this is the typical Christian experience. It's just doing the next right thing because it produces good fruit, right? It's a good thing to have your family taken care of. And so that's what I did. Until one day... I was volunteering as a youth director. I was a youth guy at the church we attended. And uh, so I decided to take these kids to a concert just over the state line up in Michigan. Took these kids to a concert, Christian concert. And they were up near the front of the hall, you know, getting into the band. I don't know where the band was from. They were from out of state, I think. I'm in the back. Just sitting down. Nobody around me, arms on the chairs next to me, just sitting there, listening, chilling. And all of a sudden, I hear a voice. It's not a thought. It's a voice. It's a loud voice. It's so loud, I turned around to make sure there was nobody behind me. And nobody around me. But there, and there wasn't. I just I had a hunch 
that it was a loud voice just in my head. But this is what the voice said. It said, someday a band like that will come out of your ministry. What? I went home. I didn't know what to think. Okay, fine. For the next 12 years, I am wondering every time a couple youth group kids decide to have a garage band, is this it? Is this it, Lord? Was that you? Or was that the pizza I had for lunch that day? What was that? 12 years. I am waiting. Nothing happening. Just more of doing the next right thing. One time I fasted and prayed. I was so distraught with my position in life, with my job, that I didn't like, that I fasted and prayed for 21 days. I don't say that to have you mimic that or to show that I'm some kind of a holy person. I'm just saying I was that desperate. I wanted to hear from God. 21 days, no voice. 22 days, no voice. I never got a voice. Just more of doing the next right thing. I had an opportunity at that point to... uh, leave the company I was with and um, go with an advertising agency. I thought, you know, that sounds better to me. I could make more money. I like being with artists. I would be an account rep. So I'll just do that. The next right thing. I didn't know they were in financial hot water. Three months later, I get laid off. I'm in the unemployment line. I'm making a fraction of what I made before. I'm accepting groceries from churches. My water almost gets turned off. And you know what I'm thinking at that point? Really, Jesus? 21 days of fasting and praying and this is what I get? Of course not. But that's where I was. Because I'm just trying to follow trying to understand what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Find a part-time job working for UPS. Went back to my old sales job, um, the one I had before the advertising agency. Um, Got a job as a part-time youth pastor again. So I was able to quit the UPS job and do that, do those two jobs together. Just doing the next right thing. And then, one day, Jesus decided to speak through my family. Okay, Jesus can speak through your families, kids. And they said, Mike, why don't you just go to seminary? You want to be a pastor. Your brother Mark said you could live with him in Denver. Why don't you just go do that? And I said, what? He did? Yeah. He said that for a long time. I go, he never told me. Call Mark? Yeah. 
You can come here. You can live with Amy and me. Go to school. Be a pastor. I'm going, okay, tell Mary. <laughs> Mary goes, what? <laughs> uh, no. We have four kids and a mortgage. Like, what are you talking about? And, of course, this thrust us into some marriage counseling, which is a great thing. Marriage counselor said, I want you to forget about Denver, Mike. I'm going, what? God spoke to me through my family, in my heart. What are you talking about? No, Mike. you got to let it go. I'm going, oh. The Bible says that you should listen to your spiritual authorities. You are now my spiritual authority as my marriage counselor. Your marriage is in better shape than mine. You probably know what you're talking about. I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Okay, fine. Because this is sometimes how Jesus leads you. Through people who are an authority over you as spiritual directors and mentors. I said, okay. Guess what? Mary and I got things patched up. One day, God speaks to her. You should go to Denver now. I am so glad that I listened to spiritual authority and didn't force Mary to go when she didn't want to go. Because having her come here willingly, hearing from the Lord as well, is a whole lot better. Because things weren't easy when we got here. We sold the house, packed up the kids, moved to Denver. I got a job at Great Harvest Bread Company. It's the next right thing. Trying to help out, right? I applied at uh, Mission Hills Church for the college position. That seemed like a good idea. I had a professor who said, you should do that. So I did that. And they put me through all sorts of paces. I felt like I was in a hurdle race. Go over this hurdle. Go over this hurdle. Go over this hurdle. I went over all of them. And then they said, no, not you. I was so pissed. So pissed. I thought, I'm just going to go in the business world again while I'm in seminary and forget about this Christian goldfish bowl thing. Forget that. Then I get a call from a guy at seminary. says, hey, heard about you. From that professor, you should apply at Corona Presbyterian. I'm thinking, I do not want to go through that again. I said, okay, thanks. I hung up. Then my professor called me, told me the same thing, and I'm going, oh, okay, Jesus, I think you're directing me again. Where I don't want to really go at this particular moment, but okay, fine, I will follow you. And so I went and I dropped off. My resume at Corona Press, very unenthusiastically, I might add, got the job. Sometimes Jesus leads even though you don't see him leading. In the words of Mark Hurd, it's the strong hand of love hidden in the shadows. Sometimes the strong hand of love is hidden in the shadows as you seek 
to follow Jesus. He's moving you. It doesn't feel like him, but it's him. Started working with young adults and singles. And I had what I can only call a divine appointment. These two young guys came, 20-something. First time ever came to church. Keith Herrig, Larry Landis. Keith was a bass player in this band, Exumator. They were doing a side project called 5-Iron Frenzy. His friend Larry was the sound guy. They said, hey, we're doing a, a concert over at Stage South, which coincidentally was being run by none other than Larry Pombianco. Where are you, Larry? Right here. There, that guy right there. I'm going, okay, sure, I'll come to your concert. they thinking I never would show up. I show up. The room is full of young people. That man had, I don't know, 150, 300 people in this room that certainly was not rated for that many people. I mean, the floor was moving with the skanking. I mean, literally moving. Like, it was going to, like, it wasn't rated for that many people. Anyway, I thought, that's pretty awesome. I told him I came. And so I go, I'm going to go back again. They had another concert, same place. I decided to take a couple of my young guys from um, Corona Press. One guy was uh, named JC, Jesus Cruz. The other guy was uh, Dennis Culp. So we go there. And uh, Five Iron was kind of incomplete at that point. And uh, they were up, they were playing, and I elbowed Dennis during the middle of the concert. I had to shout into his ear. I go, hey, Dennis, there's no trombone player. He says to me, Mike, trombone gigs are hard to come by. After the concert, looking for Dennis, can't find him. Guess where he is? Talking to the band. He comes out and he says, Mike, I have an audition with the band. Next thing I know, he's not only their trombone player, he's their business manager. And I became the band pastor. This is them. I think this is our first official professional photo. I think it was at a Sears or something (laughs) is where they went for this photo. That's Dennis in the upper left-hand corner. Um, That's Leonor on the right. And then that's uh, Micah. Top right, you got Andy Verdecchio. Keith is in the middle. Uh, Reese is on the lower left. Scott's in the lower middle. And then Brad Dunham, Nathaniel Dunham, is on the lower right. And so I became the band pastor. And so they said, Mike, uh, you know, we don't really know what to do. Could you help us out? So I had them over, Mary fixed dinner. We had Five Iron Frenzy over to our house. And I would say, okay, guys, my job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You guys are saints. you got a ministry. Let's make sure you do it well. And so, you know, we had a mission statement. We had goals, three-month, six-month, 12-month goals. What are your obstacles you're going to have to overcome? You know, what are the... uh, the, the benefits you have to help you get there. You know, what do you want to do? I mean, Leonor goes, Mike, and we play with a lot of bands. We're the only band I know out there with the mission statement. And all of a sudden, that word came back to me. Someday, a band like that's going to come out of your ministry. I went, oh, Jesus, why would, why would you tell me 12 years ago 
And this is what I got. This is the thought. It wasn't an audible word. That's for you. So that you know after 12 years and 1,200 miles, you're right where you're supposed to be. I went, oh, Jesus, you are so good. Thank you. Thank you. I have so worried that I throw my wife, my life away. Not my wife. <laughs> I am so worried that I throw my life away. <laughs> Sorry, hon. <laughs> And um, that's about as big a gaffe as when we were talking about um, sex one time. And instead of saying the marriage bed, I said the merry bed. And I, I, never, I never heard the end of it from uh, Eric Branch, ever. Um, anyway. So... One of the things that Five Iron didn't want to do was just be a rock band. They wanted to actually be ministers. And so one of the things they decided to do was to host a Bible study. And uh, this is some of the original Bible study. They ended up meeting at Corona Press, where I was on staff as the pastor to young adults and singles. Um, you can actually see my daughter, Katina, my eldest, over low, lower left-hand corner with the dark hair. And... Um, yeah, there they are. We actually uh, started getting several young people attending Corona Presbyterian uh, because of uh, Five Iron's presence and the Bible study's presence. And after a while, it seemed to me, you know, it was really a huge cultural leap to ask them to come to a Presbyterian service in the morning. Like, just... It was so awkward, right? You had all these old people, you know, especially the gray-haired old ladies with the lavender or the uh, light blue rinses in the front, right, in their time-honored places. Uh, and then in the back, you had all these young punks with, uh, you know, all sorts of red hair and green hair and neon whatever, blue hair. It was kind of cool, actually. I mean, I, I thought, this is the way the church is supposed to be. It's a little more eclectic than Corona had been in a long time. Anyway, so we thought, let's, let's start an um, alternate service, you know, like maybe on a Sunday night or something. And so we actually did a test flight there at Corona. Worked pretty well, except uh, then I was asked to resign. That's the Presbyterian way of saying you're fired um, by the new incoming pastor. And it threw me into a tizzy, frankly, because uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I mean, I was looking then for the highest-paying job within the will of God. I had four kids, one of them ready to go to college, and uh, I thought, this is what i got to do. i got to make money, right? got to do the next right thing. i got to provide for my family. And then God sends, you know, mentors into my life. That guy on the left, Dr. James Means, one of my professors at the seminary, I asked him to kind of mentor me before mentoring became popular. And um, so, never forget this. So I am considering a job in the Washington, D.C. area. I mean, this singles group was 350 people. 
The church was like 10,000 or something ridiculous. The singles group was larger than Corona was. And the salary was more than I ever thought I'd make even in the advertising world. I was looking at a, at a position in Philadelphia with a, a Presbyterian pastor there. I'd been applying for jobs around the area. And, um, and then I did, but I just couldn't get this small group of skater punks, the Bible study kids, out of my head. Just couldn't get them out of my head. And so one day I'm sitting with Dr. Means, thinking about all these options I have, and then he starts telling me a story. He says, Mike, you know, back 40 years ago when I was first new to Denver and got hired by Southern Gables Church, it was just a tiny church. But you know, Denver was growing at the time. If I hadn't taken that job and they hired somebody else to come preach the gospel, the church would have grown. Maybe it would have done better with somebody else. He goes, and then 20 years later, when the seminary asked me to come and be the professor of pastoral ministries, I thought to myself, well, okay. But the truth is, if they had hired somebody else, somebody who could have published more or been a better teacher, Denver Seminary would have got along fine. He said, but you know, Mike, when I go to Africa with the medical missions team to inoculate babies, and I'm on my way back on the plane, I know nobody is going to take my place there. Or when I go teach in that little one-room seminary in the Ukraine, and I teach the Russian students who love God and are thirsty for knowledge, I'm on my way back to Denver on a plane. He goes, I know there's nobody going back there to take my place. And then he just stood and looked at me. It was like one of those contests. I experienced this in the sales world. The first person to speak loses. In my head, because I'm such a spiritual man, this is what I'm thinking. Damn you. You are painting me into a corner. I know what you're saying. You're saying if I don't take the job in Washington, D.C., somebody else would come along and fill that just fine. If I don't take the job in Philadelphia, somebody else would come, maybe do a better job than me. But if I don't take care of these skater punks in Capitol Hill who have nobody else, nobody is going to go back to take my place. Damn it. I got four kids. I got a mortgage. Sometimes Jesus leads you to a place you do not want to go. I did not want to go there. Meanwhile, Ray Nethery, the founder and president of the Alliance for Renewal Churches, upper right, came alongside me and says, Mike, we've ordained you. We will help you if you want to work with these people. Later, Ned Berube, lower right, and his wife Sue came to pastor us after Ray retired. I had people 
from Corona Presbyterian Church coming up to me and saying, Mike, we really think God's doing something with you and those young people. So if you keep working with them, I'll tell you what, I'll help support you with money on the side. I'm going, I haven't even sent out a support letter and I've got a part-time salary. Marjane Clausen, who helped found the Inner City Health Center with her husband, Dwayne, says, you know, Mike, starting an organization a Christian organization isn't that difficult. All you need is a newsletter and a logo. <laughs> I'm going, what? Just try it. So I sent out my first newsletter. <laughs> I was 40% funded before I sent out that newsletter, and within a few months, 100% funded. Mary and I have been living on support for 19 years. Jesus provides mentors along the way to make you go, to help you go where you do not want to go. February 2nd, 2000. Groundhog's Day. Mary invites the Five Iron Bible Study to our house for a home-cooked meal, which they rarely had. She made a... It's actually... It was a meatloaf, but it... It looked like a groundhog. <laughs> she had molded it. It was probably some pork in there, so it literally was a groundhog. And uh, she had, like, turnips and potatoes and, and things that a groundhog would eat, carrots around it. And so we had dinner. Uh, we had this meeting about what would... If you are going to have a church where you'd feel comfortable coming and where uh, other people... Uh, would feel comfortable coming, you'd feel comfortable inviting your friends, what would that church look like? And so that was the beginning of that discussion. And then we watched Groundhog's Day. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Of course, we didn't start off having open meetings until I think it was either late, late March or early April of 2000. Uh, and uh, I had met some people who were ministers uh, to street kids uh, in Capitol Hill, and they had this thing called the Prodigal Coffee House, and they let us use the Prodigal Coffee House for free to start this church. Now, I asked Reese to kind of be my co-pastor, so Reese was there. That's him in the upper right preaching at the Prodigal Coffee House. Um, you can tell it was a, kind of like a living room size, and uh, people were standing and worshiping or sitting. Um, <laughs> a couple girls there on the left-hand side, I think they were from Arizona or someplace. I don't know where they came from. Um, Melanie and Mijan, and um, uh, some of the early attenders at the Prodigal Coffee House over on Marion and Colfax. So if you know where the post office is on Marion Street, right across the street from the post office is where this house was. It was owned by Open Door Ministries, and they freely let us use the house. Now, uh, just so you know, um, Scum continued uh, on from there to grow. All my family has attended at one point or another. Um, so that's Ethan in the upper right-hand side. You see him with the mohawk. Uh, he was a senior in high school at that point. This is the result of hanging around skater ponds. These are one of the occupational hazards of working with Five Iron Frenzy and their friends, is that your son becomes a skater and then has a mohawk and looks like that. Um, 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 Sophia got baptized uh, uh, at Scum. That's next to him. Lower left is, is Luke and his entourage. 
um, at one point. Um, there were these three sisters who came to scum, and uh, I used to wonder if they just came for Luke, but I, I didn't know. Um, and of course, there's my wife uh, being the life of the party over at, I think, the Breakfast King, balancing some Cholula on her head. Um, but Mary kept us laughing. So, my family has been involved at Scum uh, off and on over all the years. Um, when the prodigal got too small, um, God led us through a guy named John Swanger. Um, it was interesting, when you talk to John, John had a coffee house for uh, street people called the Tollgate. He'd just gotten it over on Ashen Colfax. And uh, about four or five times, people he knew come up to him and said, you know, scum of the earth is looking for a place to meet. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last thing I need, something called scum of the earth in my coffee house for homeless people. Like, I already got problems with the neighbors. Don't need any more. Thank you. Again, you know, John, scum of the earth is looking for a place to meet. Over and over and over again. So finally, John contacts me and says, Hey, Mike, I think Jesus wants you to come and, and meet at my building. And so uh, we all got together and we talked about it. We prayed about it. And so we went there. It's called the toll gate. Here's a view of the toll gate from those days. I had a cool upstairs. I love this kid in the rancid hoodie. This is wonderful. Um, but yeah, so people used to come, used to sit on the floor and, uh, you know, we would have 150 people at least, maybe a couple hundred sometimes, feeding them, you know, having these uh, great times uh, on Ash and Colfax. Uh, we would have meals and stuff, people wandering around. Of course, you know, at this point, everybody's younger than Mary and me by at least 20 years, 25 years. It's since grown. You know, as Mary and I have gotten older, it's probably the span now is probably closer to 30. But still... Always been young. Always been young. And um, people were doing a great job of spreading the word that Jesus was doing something at Scum of the Earth. And so, um, you know, we'd have all these um, different flyers that would come up with. Hello. Where's my flyers? (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, there's one. Yeah, the nuns with guns, a church for lambwads like you, scum of the earth. You were born for this place, little girl with rocking on. And then my favorite, scum of the earth, it might make the voices in your head stop. <laughs> so, at least a few people have come because of that flyer. Um, so... Anyway, so yeah, so they were flyering shows here and there and everywhere. They were having a great time. And then, of course, um, the creator of these ads, uh, my uh, partner in ministry, uh, my young, young co-pastor, Reese Roper, decides to leave. He's going to move to California. That was tough on me. That really was tough. However, God supplied plenty of other people to come and take Reese's place. Um, at one point, this is our staff early on. So you got Ben Mercer, Leonore Till, uh, Deva and Brian Yoder there. You got Tim and Jess Dunbar. Of course, there's Jesse and Jesse. 
uh, Joshua, Dylan Peebles on the right-hand side. There's Stephen Till, lower left, Mary and me, and Josh Cook in lower left-hand corner, lower right-hand corner. Um, we just had some great staff people over the years, I must say. that God's really blessed us with people who uh, came and helped out. And, and frankly, this was just doing the next right thing, hiring people to be on staff. We needed things done. I couldn't do everything. When they, people had gifts I didn't have, and we just hired staff. It was kind of wonderful. We've always had a large staff because people have been able to raise their own support. Let me just say, the gospel has come to scum pretty much free of charge for 19 years. Well, pretty soon, uh, we couldn't meet at the toll gate anymore. Uh, John and Raylene uh, decided to move to Seattle and uh, to do some ministry up there. And uh, we were looking around, looking around, and I knew some people over at church in the city, and so I asked them if we'd come and use their place on Sunday nights, and they said yes. So we moved over to church in the city, thanks to the goodwill of uh, our brothers and sisters there. I mean, did I have a dream that said, go talk to church in the city people? No. It was just doing the next right thing, asking around. Well, church in the city had this giant parking lot. Obviously, we're meeting there. Uh, in the upper right-hand corner, um, and, and, and they had a huge room, and we got the biggest we've ever been, maybe 350 people. Of course, the room sat like 800, but still, I mean, we got big for Scum of the Year standards. And we had, this is my favorite staff photo in the middle of Colfax, right there outside of Church in the City. Um, that was fun. <laughs> people zipping by. I couldn't believe we actually did that, but it worked. And uh, we started to uh, kind of expand. We needed some offices. And so um, God provided uh, a place underneath the 11th Avenue Hotel with Broadway and, um, and, and 11th Avenue. My brother Mark knew the guy who, who ran this place and owned it. And we needed space. And so he put us together with this guy. The guy said, sure, you can redo the place and you can meet there. And so we did. Uh, and we used it as an art gallery. Great things happened there. Um, I think Paul and Sarah Keene met there at uh, in an art show um, one day and then got married. And we had leadership meetings there. You can see on the left-hand side uh, some people just, I don't know, having a good time at a leadership meeting, eating candy. Um, so this was something that God provided for us. Uh, again, just through contacts, people in the body of Christ who said yes. And then the strangest thing happened Jesus was leading people to have babies. Like, like people were getting married and they were having babies. So sometimes they didn't get married, they had babies, which is fine. Because uh, we love the babies just as well. And anyway, so, so <laughs> yeah, babies started happening, which was crazy. It's like the next right thing, right? And then, you know, so what do you do? You have dedications. This is a dedication we had at Church in the City days. And... Um, yeah. It was wonderful. It is wonderful. I love it when Jesus leads people to do these kinds of things. And then, strangest thing, <clears throat> Swanger calls me up and says, Mike, you know, they need to scum of the other church out here. I go, okay, John, go ahead. Do whatever you want. I don't care. We don't have, we don't have a trademark on the name. He goes, no, no, no. I, I don't want to do it without your permission. I go, fine. You got my permission. 
Well, you know, that kind of led to some other things. John being ordained by the Alliance for Renewal Churches, and that's Ned and, and I at John's ordination service over at Church in the City as he began Scum Seattle, which ran for 11 years, by the way. Planning a church in Seattle just seemed like the next right thing. A lot of good fruit came from that. Also, down in Colorado Springs, Dave Weatherby and uh, Eric Branch, Scarlett and Jen Branch, got together and said, you know, we could do something down in Colorado Springs because Dave and Scarlett were driving up here every Sunday from there. And so we had the Refuse of the World Church down in Colorado Springs for a few years. Did we get a voice from heaven? No. Just the next right thing. So much of following Jesus is just doing the next right thing. And uh, at Scum, I decided, you know, I'm certainly not the only person who's got the Word of God. We should have other people come and speak. And so we had other people come and speak, quite a few from Denver Seminary. Among them, uh, Doug Groteis, pictured here, who came and did uh, Exploring the Similarities and Differences Between Buddha and Jesus. That was a good sermon. That's how Craig first found out about Scum. I invited him to come and talk a couple different times, a few different times. I remember him sitting in the back and folding his arms and going, I just wish Fran could come and, you know, get a whiff of this, you know, help out here. That'd be great. Hold on to this. A friend came and eventually was on staff. But we've had um, Margaret Feinberg speak, the author. Susan Isaacs, the author of Angry Conversations with God, actress, comedian. My wife Mary has spoken. Um, Scott Kingry from Where Grace Abounds. Sarah Bowling from Saving Moses. Ellen Hartunian, concert here, uh, counselor here in Denver. Dave Meserve of Urban Sky. Steve Garcia from Celebration Community Church. Les Avery, retired Presbyterian pastor. John Guider from Corona, just to name some people who weren't on staff who came and spoke at Scum. Why? It just seemed right. It seemed like the next right thing to do for you, the congregation, to get more well-rounded. Not just listen to me. And then, uh, of course, things uh, happened at Church in the City where they had to move out and we had to find a building. And so we started praying for a building at the office. Mary, uh, my wife, and Anna Cavoto organized some all-night prayer vigil things and we prayed and prayed and then God did this. That's actually our building before the reconstruction. You can tell there's no porch right there. Uh, The people out front there are from Great Britain. For some reason... God decided to send these students from Ridley Hall in Cambridge to Scum of the Earth to look at us and how we were doing ministry every other year for like seven or eight years. I mean, Scum's influence is ridiculous for as small as we are. That Jesus would send people from England to come and look at Scum of the Earth, people who are going to be ministers, is just an honor. Do you realize an honor bestowed from heaven on this dumpy little church. But they loved it. 
And this building is nothing short of a miracle, folks. Tim Dunbar had saved up $100,000. And um, the building was like six fifty. We raised $300,000 in one month. In 2008. We raised $300,000 in one month. That still leaves us a quarter million dollars short. I have no idea how we're going to make up the difference. And the, the due date is approaching. I get a call from a guy I never met before. His name is Gary Griffin. He represented some Christian businessmen. He says, Mike, we've been watching what's been going on with you guys at Scum of the Earth. I'm thinking, I didn't even think you knew who we were. He goes, you need the gift of time. I go, we do? I thought we needed money. <laughs> he says, uh, we're prepared to loan you a quarter million dollars for 90 days at no interest. You want the deal? Yeah, I'll take that deal. We borrowed a quarter million dollars from these business guys I'd never met before. And then we started working like crazy to pay it back. In 90 days, we had come up with 200,000 more dollars. We were $50,000 short. I went to a friend of mine in the oil business, Jeff Llewellyn, and I said, Jeff, can you loan us $50,000 until the end of the year? He goes, Mike, absolutely yes. Seeing what's going on in the stock market, my money is safer with you than it is in the bank. Because here's the truth. Between July the 3rd, when they loaned us a quarter million dollars, and October 3rd, the stock market had tanked. These guys would have lost 40% of everything they had in the stock market. But because they put their money with Scum of the Earth Church, they got 100% back on October 3rd. That is the economy of God, folks. That's a miracle. We had concerts, all sorts of stuff. Dan and Jess actually helped with the concert. We kept raised fifty more thousand dollars, gave Jeff fifty grand at the end of December. The building was ours free and clear. Miraculous. And when we dedicated the building in October, that group of businessmen sent this dude. You're going, that's huge. Look, I mean, Jess has got to be close to six foot tall. And that guy looks like a monster. Who is that guy? For all you sports-minded people, that is former NBA Nugget and manager of the Nuggets, Dan Issel. Dan Issel came and gave the dedicating prayer for this place because he was one of the guys that loaned us money. I didn't know until he showed up. He's like six foot nine or something. Six foot ten. He's huge. Anyway. Of course, we thought we were great, but then we got kicked out of the building um, by, uh, by the fire department who said that we needed to change some things. And so we didn't know what to do. Jesus, what are you doing? Like, you just did this miraculous thing, and now we get kicked out of the building. His Love Fellowship, two blocks down the south on Santa Fe, opened up 
for the evening service. Morning service got some space over at the uh, Next Level Church's offices over there by the, the Gothic Theater in Inglewood. And, uh, and we were fine. Jesus was taking care of us and leading us through his body here in, in, in Denver. And so we got to, uh, got to use their space. And there's some photos from His Love Fellowship right there. Now, just so you know, God's done some other amazing things. He's led us into missions. And so um, here are some shots of the Glasgow City Mission. There's Matt King up there, up, King in upper right-hand uh, corner. That's him serving in the Glasgow City Mission. That's Mary behind him. Um, that's the building on the left-hand side. That's Stuart and Lindsay Gilmore who are uh, trying to start Scum Scotland in the lower right-hand side that we got to know uh, during those times. But we've gone to Lame Deer Reservation up in uh, Montana. We have uh, sent missionaries around the world, the Scrobots, the Parolos, Melissa Rogers. Um, Scum has been totally involved in missions. Jesus has led us in those directions most of the time. I can't think of one time when it was a big, giant, audible voice or some kind of religious experience. We just did the next right thing in doing missions. And then finally, we returned to uh, 935 11th, West 11th Avenue. Here we are with a new hallway back there and people hanging out. It was about this time I had this thought cross my mind. And the thought was, you know, Scum of the Earth Church doesn't need a 65-year-old senior pastor. What a stupid thought that was. I just put it out of my mind. Thought came back. You know, Scum of the Earth Church doesn't need a 65-year-old senior pastor. Absolutely it does. Young people need old people. That is the whole basis of the ministry that I've been in all my life. Third time... The thought comes days later. This time it's got spurs in the end, sticks in my brain. You know, scum of the earth doesn't need a 65-year-old senior pastor. And I thought, wait a minute. I would never come up with this. <laughs> Could the Holy Spirit be talking to me? Sometimes Jesus speaks through our thoughts the persistent ones that won't go away, that aren't sinful. It may not be what we like. started checking it out with people. They all thought that probably it was true. Went on sabbatical in 2014, Ridley Hall in Cambridge, England. That's on the right there. That's me sabbaticaling on upper left-hand corner. Mary took that photo. That's us on a beach in the middle of winter having fish and chips because that's what the English do. Um, uh, but it was there. I was reading a book called Hearing God by uh, Dallas Willard because he has some good things to say about how to hear God. And uh, the whole thought came back to me, you know, scum of the earth doesn't need a 65-year-old senior pastor. When you get back from your sabbatical, you should start to put that into motion. Just a thought. No audible words. No supernatural feeling. And that began our transition plan. So you see, God has been in control. Jesus has ordered our steps. I've tried to follow Jesus. We've tried to follow Jesus. has led us to this point right here. 
We've had further transitions. Ones we did not expect. My transition plan is currently lying on the bottom of the harbor full of torpedo holes. Like the Arizona. I mean, yeah, that's what it is. But God's transition plan is in full effect, folks. Do not doubt that Jesus is leading this church. He always has. He always will. Have faith. Sometimes the strong hand of love is hidden in the shadows. What about the future? I'm going to leave you with this. I don't have time to exposit this scripture, but we're going to read it. From the letter of 1 John, starting in chapter 2, verses 20 through 28. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what He promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from Him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in Him. And now, dear children, continue in Him, so that when He, Jesus, appears, we may be confident and unashamed before Him at His coming. You don't need me. You have what you need. You have the Holy Spirit given to you by God to help you make the right decisions, whether it's the next right thing or whether it comes from a prayer vigil and you hear the voice of God or see a burning bush. You have everything you need from God. And you'll know the truth when it hits you. You don't need me to tell you it's the truth because the truth lives in you if you are in Christ. And you'll know. And your leaders will know. Have confidence. Because Jesus is returning. I mean, we're trying to follow Him, right? Here's the better news. He's coming back for us. We don't have to follow Him all the way there. He's like the parent who comes back to the car and picks you up while you're sleeping and carries you into the house. No more training wheels, kids. I'm leaving for nine months. You got to learn to ride this bike. Meanwhile, I'll try to ride that bike. 
the Steel Toaster Ministries, Mike. Steel Toaster Ministries is of the opinion that there needs to be a scum-of-the-earth-like church in every city in the world. Do you think that's a big enough vision statement? I think so. I'll keep trying to follow Jesus with the Steel Toaster Ministries thing. You keep trying to follow Jesus in the scum-of-the-earth thing. And uh, when the nine months are over, I'm going to come back. You'll see me somewhere in the back of the church. Somebody asks you how scum started, just point at that old guy with white hair and a white beard and say, go ask him. He knows. All right? All right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for people allowing me to go along. I'm looking forward to continuing story night next week with David Mays and Kathy Pence and Gwen Kennicott. May you be praised, Jesus, both now and forevermore, under the ages of ages. Amen.